welcome to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. We will explore God's Word to learn how we can live by God's grace and for His glory. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Here's your host, Noah Hooper. This week we're going to finish up the section in James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 on spiritual adultery. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the first six verses of this chapter and saw how James began this section by unleashing righteous fury on these believers for their spiritual harlotry. But he doesn't stop there. He had to unveil the problem of their spiritual adultery, of their rebellion against God, so that he could call them back to God. He had to show them the problem of worldliness before he could call them to return to God. No sinning believer will stop their sinning unless they know that they are sinning, and that is precisely what the purpose of the first six verses were. Now, after he does that, he shows them that they don't have to remain there because God gives more grace. In verse 6, he says, but he giveth more grace. You're warring and fighting, lusting and killing but he gives more grace. Your spiritual adulterers and adulteresses, but he gives more grace. You're presently an enemy of God, but he gives more grace. He freely gives more grace. He has grace that is bigger. God has grace that is bigger than our sin. His grace pinnacles at far greater heights than our sin does. His grace descends to deeper depths than our sin does. His grace outshines the darkness of our sin. God's grace is sufficient for our sin because it is greater than our sin. The problem is clear. We are at enmity with God because of our sin. Our fellowship, our experience of fellowship is broken. It is divided with God because of this sin that James is addressing. But the solution is also clear. God has grace that is greater than our sin. So then the question is, if God gives more grace, how then do we walk in this grace? How then do we access this grace? The better question really is, who does God give this grace to? The latter part of verse 6 shows us. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He doesn't give grace to the proud those who don't recognize nor care about their spiritual condition. He does give this grace to the humble, those who recognize their condition and desire to return to God. Verse 10 reiterates the necessity of humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. This verse followed each of James' commands about submitting to God, drawing near to God, and mourning over sin. He calls these believers to humble themselves, but verse 10 promises that God will lift those humble believers up. He doesn't leave penitent sinners on their face before him, forcing them to continually flog themselves, but God promises to lift up those who come in humble repentance. And this is clearly the way back to God from the sinful position of putting our own desires and worldliness before God. So what then does humble repentance look like? 
the rest of the verses provide the answer in verses 7 through 9 of James chapter 4. Initially, I tried studying this like it's a formula, but the Bible isn't a self-help formula book. What I came to realize is that James shows us the various sides of humble repentance that make up the whole. The commands given in verses 7 through 9 show us what humble repentance really looks like. So what is the first angle of this that James shows us? Well, the first part is surrender. In verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because your sin has put a, a wall between you and God. Because God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. Because you are in a mess and God is the only solution, you must submit to God. That's what James calls these believers to do in this first aspect of humility. Submit, yield, bow, fall down, lay aside your sin. In other words, you must surrender. This is the only solution when we are in sin. It's not time to defend our sin, explain our sin, or continue in our sin. It's time to fall down in submission before God. We declare that we have sinned against Him and fall down before Him. We're coming back under His authority when we do this. You see, when we sin, we depart from the umbrella of His authority. We go rogue. Instead of following the orders of our gracious and loving Father and King, we turn to the God of this world and submit to sin. That's why urging after urging them to submit to God, James calls them to resist the devil as well. Now, you could take this and go at great lengths to talk about the different ways of resisting the devil. Some may talk about speaking against the devil. Some may talk about fighting against the devil. Some may talk about speaking out loud against the devil, but I don't think that's at all what James was getting at here. Instead, resisting the devil is the simultaneous action that occurs when we submit to God. When you submit to God, you are resisting the devil. By coming back under the authority of God, we resist the devil. That is how this happens. The word resist means to stand against or oppose. So then the way we stand against the fiery darts of the enemy is by returning to the great, the ranks of our great God and King. And when we submit to God, the devil can do nothing but flee from us. That's the promise. He vanishes. He runs away. When we come back under God's authority in the way that we live our lives, Satan flees. This is part of God giving more grace. As we submit to God, turning back to Him from worldliness, He causes us to triumph over the wicked one and his wiles. This passage is laden with promises. We see that in verse 7, but we also see it in verse 8. When we see the next aspect of humble repentance, which is draw nigh. He said, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Come near to God. This is clearly what they needed to do. They needed to leave behind their worldliness and draw close to God again. But there is a wonderful promise once again given. And He will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. As you come back to God, God will draw close 
to you. James has just told them earlier that because of their worldliness, they are practical enemies of God at this time. They are at odds with God at this time. He is far away from them right now because they had left them for their sin. But he says, if you will come back, he comes close as well. You may have sinned and thought, I will never be right with God again. He will not accept me anymore. But James 4.8 is here to remind you that as you draw near to God, he draws near to you. He has no desire to be at odds with his people. He has no desire to keep us away from him and at arm's length. But when we sin, we cannot experience the communion that he desires to have with us because our sin separates us from him in that way. But when we draw nigh to God, he comes back to us. But this isn't just a feeling of a good experience of restoration. There is something we must do as we draw near. James urged these believers to cleanse their hands and purify their hearts. Whenever you see cleanse your hands referenced in Scripture, you can know that this is a general way of referring to changing the way that a person lives and acts. It is not a literal call to stick your hands under a sink and wash the dirt off of them. Rather, it is figurative language that calls the believers to live in a different way. If we truly draw near to God, it requires that we stop doing what we were doing that took us away from God or begin the process of stop doing that thing. They were to stop killing, desiring, and living according to the world. They were to cleanse their hands. They were also to purify their hearts. He says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. How were they to purify their hearts? Isn't that something that only God can do? The answer is seen in the title James gave them, ye double-minded. James used this phrase in chapter 1 to describe those who look to God in faith for wisdom, but also somewhere else because they doubt. To be double-minded is to not have a single devotion. It is to serve God and mammon. It is to serve God and the world. So then, to purify their hearts, they were to set their attention and affection on God alone. That is how we purify our hearts as well. We set our attention on God and God alone. So James tells them in verse number 8, you must come near to God and He will come near to you. But as you do this, You must stop living the way that you are living, and you must direct your devotion to God and to God alone. But there is another aspect of humility that he gives us in this passage of Scripture. And you'll notice that there is a downward descent here, and the final step is the lowest of them all. He says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. This is a vivid call to see their sin as highly offensive to God and wake up from their false sense of peace and security. Apparently, as these believers were living in their sin, they were enjoying it and oblivious to what their sin actually was. They were laughing about it and rejoicing over it. It's one thing to sin, And know that you have sinned and mourn over it. It is an entirely different thing to sin, enjoy it, and laugh about it. 
to make fun of it, to make light of it. James is saying you must not make light of your sin. The only proper response was to mourn over it, weep about it, and be heavy over it. There is much to be said about the way this points us back to aspects of Old Testament repentance. But for now, suffice it to say that humble repentance looks like mourning over our sin. If we see our sin for what it truly is, we will not chuckle about it. We will not joke about it. Instead, we will fall down on our face before our good and glorious Father because we see that we have wronged Him greatly. However, the passage doesn't end here. James shows us these aspects of humble repentance. But he ends this section with a wonderful promise. He's calling these believers to fall down on their faces before God. But he concludes with a promise that God will not leave us there. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Here's the summary of all the different angles of this. Humble yourself in God's eyes and he will lift you up. When you have sinned against him by pursuing your desires passionately, sinfully, and arrogantly, you must turn back to God by seeing your sin as sin. You must come near to God. You must cleanse your actions and desires. You must see your sin as supremely offensive to your heavenly Father. We must see our sin for what it is and fall down before God in humble repentance. We must fall on our face before God in humility. But God doesn't leave us there. He promises to lift us up. He is always faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will not keep you at arm's length. He will not refuse you. He will restore you to himself and you may walk in that sweet communion with him again. So we have the answer to when we take ourselves out of communion with God because of our sin. It is humble repentance. We must wake up and see that when we sin, no matter what we feel or what we are experiencing, we are out of communion with God. But there is an answer and it is to humbly repent. It is to fall on our face before God and repent of our sins. But he gives more grace. He will lift you up. He will restore you fully, totally, and completely. So return to him. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you will consider subscribing and leaving a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. So I hope you will join me next week on the next edition of the Taught by Grace podcast.